read is one that has come to be used a lot in our present day and age, uh, but perhaps not for its contextual purpose. Uh, For many people, they look at Romans chapter 13, verse 4, and it reads, Owe no man anything, period. And this becomes a, uh, a treatise on debt. And <laughs> owe nobody anything. And, and uh, I love using illustrations, but sometimes illustrations get in the way. And sometimes we have to be careful when we're using scripture that we, uh, we don't take things out of context. Is this a, is this a prohibition of debt? Is this talking about debt? Uh, to be certain... Uh, we live in a debtor society. Am I right? Uh, everything about our society is an enticement to get us into debt. All the advertising and so on and so forth is how, how can we get you into debt easily? Am I right? And uh, easy credit, keeping up with the Joneses. My wife, I had to rescue her from that because she was the Joneses. But... Uh, but uh, her, her did, you, did, did, you, did you know, uh, Brother Neil, that I married Bob Jones's daughter? Yes, I did. Not the one from South Carolina, but I, 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 I. the idea of keeping up with the Joneses and so on and so forth. And then once everybody gets into debt, then it becomes a huge issue. How do we get out of this mess? And financial planners have created a cottage industry of ideas as to how to get out of debt. And you can spend an awful lot of money trying to get out of debt. (laughs) The Bible's not silent on the issue of debt. Moses warned that obedience to to God would make the people of Israel lenders. Disobedience would make them borrowers. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant, uh, a slave of the lender. And so there are things to be said, and, 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 so, and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I, I got a, I got a um, letter from a friend of mine uh, some time ago, uh, and, and uh, he, he had a, a treatise, and it was quite a, quite a deal on how we can prove that the sun revolves around the earth using the King James Bible and that, and that, and that, if, that uh, the whole idea of the earth revolving around the sun is a government conspiracy. And uh, I read it, and I simply wrote back to him this. I know that our government has, from time to time, lied to us. I'm sorry, but it does happen, okay? Not very often, but, uh, but it has happened. And I am not in a position, with my limited understanding of science, to argue the finer points of whether the sun revolves around the earth or the earth revolves around the sun. But I can tell you this. You're not going to prove it one way or the other from the King James Bible, okay? And, and I'm going to submit to you today that there are a lot of things that, uh, that uh, get blamed on the scriptures and so on and so forth that aren't a part of the word of God.
Many people would be very shocked to know that the old adage, that neither a borrower nor a lender be, is Shakespeare and not Scripture. Yeah. And, uh, but to chase that would miss the point of the Scripture. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that, that one of the sad things in modern-day Christianity is we spend more time chasing after the issues of debt and financial planning and so on and so forth than understanding what our context is saying to us here today. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Here we find that the greatest obligation that I have as a believer is to love my neighbor, is to, to love one another. But I'm going to suggest to you that uh, perhaps we have a difficult time always understanding what that looks like. Man and his fallen sinful nature is always looking for the loophole. It's amazing to me in our legal system how many times people are constantly looking for loopholes in, in, in laws rather than wanting to obey the law. And how can I get around this? Even to the point, for 2,000 years, the golden rule has served man very well, very well, especially the Christian community, the broader Christian community. When I say that, I'm talking about everybody that names the name of Christ, calls itself Christian, not necessarily born-again believers, but, but all of Christianity. We've, 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 it's served us well, okay? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, okay? We don't always live by it, but it is the platitude by which we try to live. Am I correct? As a society, and it's, and it's, and it, it, it's worked well. But, uh, but uh, that has now been replaced in our 21st century world with the platinum rule. And some of you may have heard of the platinum rule. The platinum rule goes beyond the golden rule. It's listed as being far greater because platinum is more valuable than gold. And so this is this is something great. And, and the platinum rule says do unto, uh, do unto others before they should. No, no, that's not what it says. Uh, the platinum rule says do unto others as they want to be done to. And every time I hear that, I, 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 uh, Are you serious? Okay. Do unto others as they want to be done to. I work in a prison. Do you know what that would look like if we did that? We would provide everybody a lifetime supply of fentanyl and let them go home. Of course, a lifetime supply of fentanyl is all that much, but anyway, the, uh, the, the, the idea... Do unto others as they want to be done to. So do we allow the thief to, to steal? Do we allow the adulterer to rape? Do we allow the liar to lie, the murderer to kill? Folks, when we start looking for loopholes in the law, we create some really interesting dilemmas. Am I right? 
some some incredible problems, and and uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you works very very well. But here in in, in Romans chapter thirteen, uh, owe no man anything but to love. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that that. Uh, when we start to look at it, there's many, many aspects of this we could look into. First of all, we could look at the idea that, uh, uh, well, if we love, we don't meddle. I like that. Am I right? When we love, we don't meddle in other people's business. I tend to, to lean toward a more libertarian uh, viewpoint of government as much as I possibly can. But the idea that he who governs least governs best and... and uh, and uh, that that you know that uh, that uh, that uh, what was it that that uh, uh, the old the old cowboy philosopher used to say that uh, when you start protecting your wallet when whenever Congress is in session because they're trying to get into it and uh, uh, don't meddle but but there's another side to that am I right if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody some thugs beating up a little old lady and take away her purse. And I don't get involved in that, and I don't do what I can to, to stop that. May I suggest to you that, that, that I have an obligation there. And there's some, there's, there, there's some balances and so on and so forth. Yes, I'm to love my neighbor. I'm to love God's people. And yet, the Bible is very clear that to love the Lord is to hate evil. And, and, the, and the truth is that, that if I'm going to love properly, I have to hate properly. Being a native to Arizona, I um, have grown up with rattlesnakes. And I will tell you, uh, as the son uh, and grandson of men who were here in uh, just, Arizona was just beyond territorial days when my family first came to Arizona, I was taught to hate rattlesnakes. My grandfather used to tell me, if you see a rattlesnake in the wild, one of you dies right there. And fortunately for me, that's been the, the snake most of the time uh, up until this point. Now, there are people, I, one day I got a, I was on a, the beauty of Cochise County, and growing up in Cochise County, I joined this group and I was enjoying it. And one day they took a picture they had a picture posted of a rattlesnake that they'd come across in the wild. And they were talking about how beautiful it was. And I said, it'd be a lot prettier without a head. <laughs> I am no longer a member of that group. <laughs> the, uh, the fact is, uh, people say, well, why, why would you hate rattlesnakes? Because I have eight kids and soon to be 27 grandkids. When you have eight children, you don't like rattlesnakes. <laughs> One day when I was pastoring down in, in Cochise County years ago, Kathy had taken the kids to a friend's house swimming. And when they got back, my middle son uh, came in and he, uh, he's all excited. And, he, and, 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 and he's always one, it was difficult to follow him, okay? And, and uh, he was talking, and I could tell he was talking about a rattlesnake. Well, where they had been swimming was out in the desert, and I 
I assumed that that uh, there was a they had seen a snake out there on the desert. And I'm busy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, where, where's that now, son? And 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 uh, and, and he, he he kept saying, right out there. And I and I right out where? Right out there. Where? Come here. And he took me out the front door of the church, and there it was on the porch of the church. My children had all, every one of them walked right by that thing. Would it surprise you to know that that thing didn't live very long? It was a threat to my children. It was a threat to my family. We're not going to, to love my children meant to hate a rattlesnake. And, and I say that today because, because I, want, I, I want us to understand that we live in a world where understanding what it means to love people is, is, is not a slam dunk. I think I'm just about as old or maybe older than anybody in the room, okay? And so there, I, I've seen some things that some of y'all haven't seen. I, grew, I came of age in the 60s. Okay, now some of you have read about the 60s. If you remember the 60s, you weren't there. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, one of the ironies of the of growing up in the 60s is we were called the Love Generation. Am I right? And what are the 60s known for? Riots and, and all kinds of civil disturbance, draft card burning. Uh, it, it, when I was coming of age, this country was only in the last year or so, last few years, have we seen anything close to the 1960s. Am I correct? Uh, it, 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 it was terrible. And yet it was the love generation, prompting somebody to say back in those days that most of the hate in our world is being generated by the love generation. And I'm going to suggest to you that that still exists. Most of the people who, who demand tolerance are the most intolerant people in all the world. Most of the people who demand love are the most hateful people in the world. And I'm going to suggest that if we do not have a proper understanding of terms, we can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. The difficulty we have in our world is, is not, in our, not in what we say, but how we define what we say. The truth is, two people can be talking, and one says something, and the other hears the words, but the meanings are so different that it's, com it's completely divergent. How in the world, there's no communication because nobody's talking about the same thing. So this morning, as we come to this, oh, no man, anything but to love, I would suggest that we need to kind of get on the same page. And God's taking care of that for us, amen? Because if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find the divine, divinely inspired definition of what love is. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Love is greater than any outward ceremony. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, benevolence will all pass away. All the things that we like to think of as being the evidences of love, many of them will, will, uh, will one day they, they will come to be nothing. Love is. How many of you are old enough to remember the little cartoons that used to, they used to have in the papers? Love is, and they have this little cherubic little couple you know, love is getting the coffee in the morning or love is the... Nobody remembers that, okay? My problem is I'm getting too old. None of my illustrations work anymore. Uh, go home and Google love is, okay? And, and look at the pictures and then, then you'll know what I'm talking about, all right? The, uh, they used to have this cute little cartoon in the papers called Love Is and, and it was... Sappy as all get out, but it was cute. And, and uh, lo- love is. I'm really going to get myself in trouble now. But, but uh, again, from my generation, we all know that love means that you never have to say you're sorry. I do it. Y'all never saw that movie, did you? Boy, was that big when I was a kid. But uh, love means you never have to say you're sorry. Um, God's word says it's patient and it's kind. One day, I went to work when I was still chaplain in Tucson, and as is as as is my downfall altogether too often, I had um, not been the kindest that as I should have been. Okay. Can I just leave it there to my, to my wife on the way out? And I sat down in my office, and I'm looking out over this sea of orange, and I'm seeing all these people, and I think to myself, I would not speak to these inmates the way I spoke to my wife this morning. And yet I say I love my wife. Love is patient. It is kind. I'm going to suggest to you that very few of us are going to ever reach the apex of that statement. We may be in the sanctification process working toward that end, but I'm going to suggest to you that we have a ways to go. 
Love, is, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. To say it another way, it's not, it's not self-serving. Much in the way of benevolence happens because people, uh, there, there is a benefit to be gained. I give to benevolent organizations so I can take it off my income taxes. Okay? And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that, that there is a, an ulterior motive. I'm going to suggest to you that many, many things we do, we, we treat people because we want, well, because we want to be treated well. Love is not self-serving. Love does not dishonor others. How many fortunes are built upon the bodies of other people? People uh, building their little empire at the expense of other people. Love does not, is not self-seeking. Love esteems others better than themselves. Oh, that's a difficult one for us to, to grasp. Love is not easily angered. Anger is often a sign of selfishness and not love. And then love doesn't keep records of wrongs. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that, that uh, keeping a record of wrongs is a very, very common situation. May I suggest to you this morning uh, that probably the greatest torpedo of marriages is when we start keeping score in our marriage. When we start cataloging things that our spouse has done. All right. That's once. You heard about the old boy that, that, that went out he, he, he lived up in the mountains, and, and uh, it was time for him to get married. And, and uh, so he went to town, and he started asking about eligible uh, women to marry. And they said, well, there's only one eligible woman in town for you to marry. But, boy, you don't want to mess with her. She is the most overbearing. And, and, so, and he said, that's all right. I'm desperate. And so, <laughs> so he, he marries the girl. And... and uh, and uh, they head back up to the mountains. They're, they're behind the mule. And um, the, uh, the, the mule's dragging the little, the little cart, and all of a sudden the mule stops. And he just, that's it. He didn't want to go anywhere. And the, uh, the, uh, the old boy gets off the, the wagon. He goes down, and he looks at the mule, and he says, that's once. And they get back on, and he, he, they go and a little while, the mule stops. Guy gets out, he goes around, and he looks at, looks at the mule, and he says, that's twice. They get back on, they go a little while, mule stops, the old boy gets out, takes his revolver, shoots that mule stone cold dead right there on the spot. His new wife has been watching this in horror, and all of a sudden she begins to go into a tirade. What the world do you think you're doing? She goes on for about 15 minutes. He never says a word. And she finally gets through and he says, that's once. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm afraid that that's not atypical of many of our marriages. It's not atypical of how we deal with people. 
Oh, I know the old adage, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But there's a sense in which we, we don't keep a record of wrongs. It's not easily done because we want to, we, it is our nature to want to remember. Love does not delight in evil. How many times do people's ears perk up when somebody starts talking dirt about somebody? Or did you hear what? Oh, oh really? Yeah, you know, the old, the old, uh, the old thing. Uh, you won't catch me repeating gossip, so you better listen close the first time. And people, people listen carefully. Love always protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. Love is a work in progress. It's fragile. It needs nurturing. It's something that we have to work out very, very much. But here is my obligation. My obligation is to, is to, uh, is, is to love. In our text, love is the fulfilling of the law. Again, we come back to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what Paul is saying under inspiration of God is, I don't murder because I don't want to be murdered. I don't lie because I don't want to be lied to. I don't sexually assault because I don't want to be sexually assaulted. I don't steal because I want my property. All these things are very, very uh, important. And and, and it's the fulfilling the law. But the difficulty is, as we have gone through the definitions of the law and so on and so forth, may I suggest to you this morning that if you are being honest with yourself in any way, shape, or form, this has been one of the greatest indictments against us that we could have ever given. Correct me if I'm wrong. Most of us do not find a whole lot of comfort in all these things love does, if we are honest with ourselves about our true actions and feelings. We don't measure up. But how much more so when God looks upon us, and Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's... It's easy for us to preach our love this way. Now, this is what you ought to do. And this is how you ought to get, get things done. And this is... And we don't... We, we forget this, this part of the gun here. Am I right? Point it back. And we forget as we are preaching to everybody else about the importance of loving that God loved me when I was unlovely. When I had nothing to bring to the table. When I was nothing but contemptuous. I was a rebel. I was in bondage of sin. Romans 1, 2, and 3, the doctrine of condemnation, described me perfectly. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is nothing good in me. There is none that doeth good. Oh, what a horrible, horrible thing that we see. But the book of Romans is not about condemnation, although condemnation is necessary. The book of Romans is about justification. God 
saved me while I was still a sinner. God made me just. God redeemed me. Paid the penalty for my sin. He reconciled me to himself. I was not reconcilable, but he reconciled me. He adopted me. Made me his child. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Will we ever be able, in our wildest imagination, be able to come up to the level of 1 Corinthians 13? Will we ever be able to, to reach a point where we can demand of others because we have, a, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> we'll never make that, am I right? But we don't have to. Because God loved us while we were yet sinners. And he sent his son to die for us. And as a justified, redeemed, reconciled, adopted son of God. Whatever I do to emulate Christ, to love people, to love God's people, to love my neighbor, becomes that which is the evidence of what God has done in my life. And so tonight, uh, this morning, uh, owe no man anything but to love. I hope that will be the testimony of our lives.